You are listening to Dermcast.tv, the official online media resource for the Society of Dermatology PAs. So we're staying in the um, isotretinoin mode. Um, I see a lot of patients on isotretinoin, so um, I, I love treating patients with isotretinoin because I love to see kind of the um, progression of how, how they kind of blossom whenever they're on it. So um, we're going to just kind of identify patients who are candidates for therapy, recognize and manage the side effects um, of isotretinoin, and then identify strategies to help um, patients and families kind of better um, understand and also comply with the um, iPledge guidelines. So I know Dr. McGinnis had kind of talked about kind of who's a candidate for isotretinoin, and I think we can all um, agree and kind of identify those patients pretty, re pretty readily. Um, so just, again, to summarize, moderate acne, if they've failed um, topical retinoids and op you've optimized them, kind of gone through the whole kind of progression of strengths, um, and if, if you've failed or the recalcitrant antibiotics by mouth, and if they have no response to hormonal therapy, then they are on that isotretinoin route, or if you know, they have severe scarring nodulocystic cystic acne. So these are both patients that I have seen. Um, they both were put on isotretinoin for different reasons. The girl on the left, she couldn't tolerate any of either the doxy or the minnow because of the GI upset. Um, and she also couldn't do retinoids because she was too dry. I put her on an OCP and it still wasn't that great. So on to isotretinoin she went. And my guy on the right. He was on a pretty strong topical retinoid, but he had a hard time, like many teenage boys, um, following instructions and remembering to use it every single night. He also was on both minnow and doxy at one point or another. Um, worked a little bit, but not great. And he really picks a lot. Another case, another patient of mine. This kid, um, I saw him for a long time. I kind of watched his acne progress over a two-year period then started to kind of get worse pretty quickly. Um, so it was worsening. He was really like the most all-star stand-up compliant patient, but he was really worried about the scarring, as was I, so on to isotretinoin he went. And this guy, um, clearly, he is not even a question. He needed it probably two years ago um, by the time he got to see us. So. Um, I think it's pretty easy for us to kind of recognize who, who needs the medicine and who doesn't. So I know we had talked about it briefly um, in terms of kind of who is a candidate for it, but it's approved for those that are greater than 12 years old. Um, are typically, my first month, I give um, 0.5 milligrams per kilogram, but like she had alluded to, um, sometimes I start a little bit lower if I'm really worried about acne flaring or if I'm worried about um, acne fulminance. Um, I typically increase the strength, increase the dose to one mg per kg per day at the second month, give or take, and I hopefully continue at that, at that dose for the duration of the therapy. And I put in parentheses, hopefully, because when I see them back for follow-up, um, you really want to ask them, you know, did your acne flare with that higher dose? And if they're getting more than the usual, um, you know, new pimples, if they're getting these cystic, kind of really acting this out of proportion for their usual acne, then I may consider keeping them at that same dose with kind of close follow-up with them um, or considering lowering the dose back down. Um, and also, I, if I'm really worried about their acne flaring that first month, I also definitely, I agree, I would consider adding an oral steroid. <laughs> and 
And then the big question is when to stop. So all of the, um, you know, the evidence right now says a cumulative dose between 120 and 150 mg per kg is kind of the, the guideline that we typically all have been following. Um, I treat till that kind of um, range and also once they've been clear for at least one month, preferably two. Um, and that's kind of been my practice for a long time. However, I feel like over the past few years, there's been many, many more relapse rates. Um, and so I think a lot of us are trying to start considering treating for longer durations, but also high, in higher cumulative doses. Um, and I think that that is probably gonna be um, helpful for less of a chance of a relapse. Um, However, I think that also in the world we live, insurance coverage is a, big, is a big thing. And I know for us, there's a lot of, for the patients that we see, there's a lot of parameters for insurance in terms of how long they want you to be on the medication. Some insurances are five months, some are six months. Some don't have any, any guidelines, but I think that's the one limiting factor for, for exciting the, the Accutane course. Oops. Um, I just put in two articles. There's not a lot of evidence or good articles that are out there that really support um, that long kind of higher dose of isotretinoin use. So we just we need more evidence for it. Um, I also put in just a couple articles. It's rare that we use isotretinoin for, for infants. Um, however, it has been done, and, and we have done it um, as a group. However, um, just know that severe infantile acne, to be a candidate for isotretinoin, really it's if, you, if your acne was under two years old, when it was on onset, if they have failed topical treatments such as retinoids, benzoyl peroxide, kind of combination topicals, um, and also had been on like an, um, an oral antibiotic. If those patients have felt all of those things and they're still having this really cystic acne as an infant, then certainly isotretinoin can be considered. Um, again, it's off-label in infants and children under 12. And if you're having a, uh, an infant that has this, this issue, please refer them to see a pediatric dermatologist. The dosing range is, is variable. Um, in the treatments per the studies, they range anywhere from five months to 14 months or until the children were clear. And, you know, in terms of taking the medication, I think um, a big thing is teenagers who can't swallow pills. It is a big problem, um, not only for those who, are, who we want to try a course of antibiotics, but then also who need to move on to isotretinoin. It's a big deal. And so it's a really serious conversation I have with those patients that need isotretinoin. It's like, all right, how bad do you hit your acne? Because if you hit your acne bad enough, we have to find it somewhere in your brain that you mind over matter to swallow those pills because it really, it, there's, it's really non-negotiable oftentimes. Um, um, as we had talked about, it's best absorbent taking with, with a, a fatty meal, um, with, except with Absorica, which is the branded isotretinoin, which can be taken with or without food and it's absorbed as well. Um, but isotretinoin is unstable when it's exposed to light and oxygen. So I put these some options in there, kind of what to do if you can't swallow pills. I think the best of these kind of alternative administration options are, is freezing the isotretinoin and putting it in a candy bar, a piece of candy, um, ice cream, and then they can kind of swallow it down. Um, I had one patient who would like to put his isotretinoin in the little caramel cream and was able to swallow it for whatever reason with that. Um, but I think that that's the, the best of the options that I listed. These are taken right from Lexicomp. Um, puncturing them, I wouldn't recommend doing. Again, is it stable? Probably not. Are you gonna be able to get all the medicine? Probably not. 
Um, again, those other two options, if you're unable to swallow foods or soft foods, you can theoretically dissolve them in milk or formula. Again, how stable is that? Um, and if a patient has bad acne and has an NG tube, there's the whole procedure there that was listed on Lexicon. But again, the question is, how stable will the medicine be? And so again, picking and choosing who you're who you are opting to put on as you threaten is really, really important. And so they're on it. Um, you've got them started. They can swallow pills. And first month down, their acne's improving. But what about the laundry list of side effects that um, you ask them about? So I think, you know, well, they want their acne to improve, but they really don't like a lot of these things that they're experiencing. And I think, you know, from the get-go, making sure that everyone is aware, parents, kids, of all the list of side effects that can possibly happen. And from get-go, set appropriate expectations. You are going to be dry. Please make sure they know that. Some people are like, oh, yeah, maybe I'll moisturize, maybe I won't. No, you have to moisturize. Please, from day one, I tell my, my families and their patients, please get some Vaseline, please get a moisturizer, and start doing it before, like on day one of isotretinoin. Because if not, you're going to be playing catch-up the whole entire time that you're on it. Tell them to stock up. Get sunscreen, get all their moisturizers, get all of these goods so you are prepared to kind of deal with the, um, with the side effects as they pop up. And I tell them it's very, very easy to manage it if you are prepared. And the big question, how is your mood? So we talked about dry skin, we talked about dry lips, that, that's par for the course. But I think the biggest question I ask uh, when I, I really kind of am trying to ask my patients is how is your mood? Because the people that are on Accutane are teenagers, um, and they, at any given point, I feel like you could, in, in a 15 minute visit, they could go through each of these moods. Because, I'm, I mean, come on, life is, life is crazy for these teenagers, and there's lots of things going on between school and life and home. Um, and I think the mood question is really, really important. And I think that, you know, there's ongoing debate about mood. So the, most of the studies are saying that there's really no clear-cut link between um, isotretinoin and mood change. However, there's some kind of thoughts out there that isotretinoin does monitor some serotonin signaling pathways that can affect mood, and it decreases the brain activity in the orbital frontal cortex, which is the area that helps regulate depression, depression symptoms. So. Um, I don't poo-poo anyone who's seeing that they are having any kind of mood change uh, whenever they're on, the, on isotretinoin. I think we need to keep exploring this um, really, really seriously to kind of dig further and find out um, more information. So before I even start anyone on, on isotretinoin, I have a serious discussion with them and with their family. Um, I ask about um, any kind of depression, anxiety, any other psychiatric, symptom, um, psychiatric conditions that have been diagnosed or that they think they may have. Um, and if they do have those things, that doesn't cross them off the list for being a candidate for taking isotretinoin. I just ask that they please get clearance from their psychiatrist, therapist, pediatrician before starting. And I also want to make sure they're followed by their mental health professional on a regular basis whenever they're on the medication. And please have an open dialogue at every monthly visit with, with the family and the patient. And if need be, have the parents step out of the room. If you feel like you're not getting the whole story with the parent in the room, please talk with the patient privately. And if there's any change in the mood, I, I don't um, play around. I stop the isotretin right away. I ensure the patient is not in danger of hurting themselves or hurting others, and investigate further. What's, what else is going on? Talk to them. Um, is something else going on at school, at home? What is, is something else driving this? And then please refer them, again, to a mental health professional.
And then isotretinoin, obviously we all know it's category X, causes birth defects, biggest day on the box. Um, but this is a hard discussion whenever you're giving the medication to teenagers because, um, you know, everyone is not always open with their parents. Um, and it's very, very important to have a very frank and honest discussion with the patient um, and parent. But I think more importantly, having the parents and them step out of the room so you can get the, the real story from the patient. Whether or not mom or dad says they're swears up and down they're abstinent, I don't typically trust them until I have them step out of the room and then ask again with, with the patient by themselves. Um, really counsel ad nauseum about the importance of contraception, whether if they are promising that they're going to be abstinent, fine. Um, but most of the time, it's my practice to recommend um, oral contraceptive for teenager girls. Um, and the question is, do I give it? Do I refer it out? Um, a lot of the time I end up giving, I write for it as long as they don't have any kind of, you know, contraindicating factors. Um, but I also oftentimes refer to their pediatrician or adolescent medicine if I'm worried that there's something else going on um, or, or a gynecologist. And then um, isotretinoin and IBD. Again, there's no clearly identified causal relationship between isotretin use and inflammatory bowel disease. However, you know, there's been conflicting info in the past. Um, but again, right now there's no clear cut link between the two, but there's a lot of thinking. Is there a link between um, acne, severe inflammatory acne and IBD? Possibly. Um, and is there a link between antibiotics um, by mouth and IBD? And those things are kind of steering us towards that direction. And so another reason to kind of maybe consider early isotretinoin versus being on and off those oral antibiotics for such a long time. However, that being said, if someone does come into the office with bad acne, a history of um, inflammatory bowel disease, and they want to go on isotretinoin, I just ask to kind of Talk, talk with their GI doctor, make sure they're okay with it, and if they're okay with it, then we, then we proceed with, and I usually kind of do a little bit, I do routine lab monitoring, and we make sure that their symptoms aren't changing, and I find that we have had a lot of patients that have, the, have IBD and do quite well on isotretinoin. And the big question is iPledge. iPledge um, generates so many phone calls and so much confusion for, for patients and for our families um, and for our nurses and for us, online calls, portals. Um, I, I feel like it's kind of confusing. And I feel like if before you start anyone, male or female, on iPledge, you just make sure that the family is really, really, really um, aware of the guidelines and the rules. We didn't make the rules. I pledge made the rules, we can't get around them. Um, and so um, you, obviously they have the consent form they have to sign, but please make sure, this is another visit where you need to take a lot of time with the families um, and the patients going over everything. More time with that initial visit equals less confusion and less phone calls and less issues moving forward for the duration of that therapy. Um, Families always call despite, you know, why can't we get refills? This is not our rule. This is like, a, this is an I pledge rule. Um, families typically don't get that. Um, and also know like from the get-go, you need monthly offices and, and lab monitoring. Um, in regards to lab monitoring, um, there is the, you know, question of how much lab monitoring do we need? Um, it's my general rule that I do baseline labs. I check uh, labs again as I'm increasing monthly, uh, as I'm increasing the dose on a monthly basis. Then once I'm on a stable dose, not increasing the, 
the dose at all. I don't necessarily check for males, the whole lab panel. I do check the pregnancy test, obviously. The other thing I learned this year is that if someone becomes, if they change their, their uh, contraception from abstinence to sexually active, they have a 30-day lockout period. That's new to me. I've been doing this for 10 years. This first time it happened this year. And so it's just really important that um, you tell the family that's a bad surprise that they have to take a 30-day 30, 30 break from, from their Accutane if they change from abstinence to sexually active. And then the other thing to think about um, is just kind of keys to, to isotretinoin success. There's, I think it's a triangle between the pharmacy, the patient and the family, and our office. And I think the easiest way for us to really be successful with this is what we have done is we have an online portal. We make anyone who is going on isotretinoin um, to make sure they have their, their MyChop or you know, their kind of epic kind of e-account e activated because that's how we communicate um, with them regarding lab work, regarding refills, timing of pregnancy tests. That's how they can get in touch with us regarding um, side effects, um, questions. And so I think it's really, really, really important that um, you have some kind of clear communication in place for, for the patient and the family. Um, and so summing it all up, the candidates for isotretinoin are easily identified. Um, the side effects cannot be reviewed or stressed enough. And the communication is key for a successful course of isotretinoin. Thank you. Do you want to do questions for? How useful will this session be in your practice? That's great. As a result of this program, do you intend to change your patient care? Yeah, so um, in terms of oral steroids, um, I, if I'm very concerned, for example, the photo with a lot of the necrotic, more inflammatory acne of the, of the young man on the back, I started him at 0.5 mg per kg prednisone and 0.5 mg per kg isotretinoin and then just went up really, really slowly. Yeah, and the question about amylase and lipase before starting, um, we don't check those. Um, we check CBC, lipid profile, LFTs, pregnancy test, um, but that's, that's the extent of our lab monitoring. This is a great question. Um, does anyone discuss premature growth plate closure with isotretinoin? So I think this really um, comes into play in the pre-adolescent acne group, and I think it's a discussion that we would definitely have. You know, I'm, it's rare for me to use um, isotretinoin in young women and, and boys of 12 to 14, and I think that I would have that discussion because they aren't finished growing yet, and I think there is a you know, I, I, I haven't looked at the evidence for this in a, in a few years, but I do think there is a small risk that you could be affecting the growth plate. I don't know if anyone else has looked at that. Yeah. I don't, okay. Mm -hmm. So the question about um, OCPs and Accutane, is there an age that you feel is too young for OCP start? Um, 
I typically say, I ask the families if I'm considering it, um, how long they've had their periods for, um, and if there's any other kind of contraindicating factors, like are their periods regular, do they have a history of migraines, is there a family history of, of stroke or blood clots. If there's anything that's kind of out of my, out of the norm, I refer to pediatrician, I refer to adolescent medicine, gynecology. Yeah, we just worked with our um, OB-GYN on this very issue, and I think you, you would feel most comfortable starting after a year um, mm -hmm. post-menses. Um, and just keep in mind that the age of menses has moved forward a little mm -hmm. bit. You know, I think 9 to 11 is now the most common age. So um, thankfully, that doesn't become an issue too often, but, but we do work with our OB-GYN colleagues. Oh, Jim's no. question is, do we put our younger patients who might be um, uh, post-Mainarch on OCPs just in general if we're going to be starting? And the answer is no, um, I do not. And the question of um, any long-term muscle or joint pain persisting after isotretinoin, I have not seen that. Um, you know, I, th I feel like it's also not that common for me to hear that complaint. I hear it from time to time, um, and I feel like it's... Uh, once, I, once we stop this isotretinol, once the course is complete, any kind of joint achiness um, resolves. Um, question about sodium sulfacetamide for acne. Um, that is one of the three FDA-recognized over-the-counter um, topical active ingredients, so sulfur and sulfacetamide. Um, I think there are some antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties that it does have. I can't say I use it very often, maybe a handful of times a year in patients who just want a different type of cleanser than the benzoyl peroxide, and then I'll use you know, a sulfacet-based based cleanser. Yeah, I used to prescribe it a lot, but I find it's really hard to get, I, I feel like it's hard to find. Um, I, there's it's some compounding pharmacies make it, but um, for that reason, I simply, like, I don't really prescribe it or use it. I use benzoyl peroxide. And then the, the, I think there are a, a lot of uh, questions about, can you walk me through the conversation you would have with parents and kindly ask them to leave the room? And so, yeah, it's, it's an awkward conversation to have. And so I think, you know, after we're, I'm going to kind of going through all of, the, all of the side effects, kind of gets to that at the end. And I say, you know, I know this is really awkward for both of you, um, but I think it's really important that I talk with the patient alone. So mom or dad, if you don't mind stepping outside just for a few minutes while we talk privately, um, and that typically goes really well. There's really not a lot of kind of pushback. I think the families appreciate, uh, the parents appreciate it because, you know, I'm showing concern for their child. I think the teenagers appreciate it because they get to talk a little bit more freely without mom and dad staring at them. And so I think it's, um, I think it goes quite nicely. Next question, is there a concern with isotretinoin in patients who have a family history of IBD? Um, and I would say that in general, I would definitely be still counseling to start isotretinoin in this setting, but I do bring it up. And um, as Leanne really concisely noted, you know, a lot of children have already had exposure to oral antibiotics, and we don't know what the, what the relationship is. Um, we don't necessarily, to the best of our knowledge, think that it's causal, but it's something to, to think about and, and keep in mind. It wouldn't necessarily deter me from, from making um, the recommendation for treatment. I agree. Okay. And then the question of blood work every month for males. Um, 
Like I said, I, I don't check, check blood work every month for males. I check it as I'm addressing the dose, but once they're on a stable dose, I don't check the whole lab panel if their labs have been normal. I mean, the JAMA Durham article that really looked at this, um, that group recommended checking baseline labs, including a CBC, lipids, and LFTs, and then again, rechecking at two months. They didn't necessarily recommend checking every month. Certainly a urine pregnancy test is needed um, in our female patients, but that's what they recommended. I would say I would shadow Leanne. If I'm significantly changing the dose, I will often then follow up labs again. In regards to like urine versus blood, um, I think that it doesn't really matter to me whether it's urine or blood. I have certain patients who refuse to do, refuse to pee in a cup, and so they prefer to do the blood test, even though I offer every month. And so, um, as long as we're getting that pregnancy test every month, it doesn't really matter to me whether it's urine or blood. Mm -hmm. um, and in regards to you know clearance of Accutane, do you follow a taper schedule? I don't. Um, I, th I don't think there's any evidence that supports a taper, and I, it's not my practice to taper off no. of isotretinoin. Okay. I think we, we discussed that one already, the younger patients, younger pre-adolescent mm -hmm. or early adolescent patients. I think there's some concern, but you can look at growth charts and, and counsel as well. And visual complaints on, on isotretinoin, um, Again, I don't typically hear that. I, I feel like it's much more of a dry eye issue. Um, you do ask about vision change, and certainly if there's any kind of concern for vision change, I, I would refer to Optho. Mm -hmm. Okay. Time for more. So dosage and duration of prednisone, I think we did talk about um, half to one per kilo for about a month, and am I checking a CBC there? Um, you know, I think in general, I. I do because I think that goes along with baseline and one to two months after. So I would end up checking a CBC in that range. In regards to the Accutane, I mean, the I pledge window, um, well, that's a, pain, that's a pain for everyone, right, when they miss their window. Um, so typically, if they miss the window, um, we just send them a script, uh, a script for a, whether a urine or a blood test, and we don't make them come back to the office. They just get it and then we send the medicine once we get the, the blood result or the urine result. Mm -hmm. But they still are going to be hitting the 30 They're day. They're still going to be hitting they 30 have day. To, yeah, they have wait. to wait. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. So a manager adjusting dosage for increased triglycerides. Um, so I, I think that is variable. It depends on the patient. It depends if they were fasting um, or not fasting. Um, you know, if if I'm seeing a little bit of a slight elevation, I just monitor, but if it's you know, getting to be like doubling um, in terms of the values, I definitely will cut the dose. If it's really, really significantly elevated, I'll have them take a break for a couple of weeks, recheck the labs and restart. Um, but again, making sure again that they are counseled on fasting if they are um, trending high and making sure they're making healthy diet choices. And the protocol for lipid panel or AST, we talked about that. Um, spironolactone, we talked about that. Do you use under 18? Um, no, it is not FDA approved, and I do use that um, off-label under 18. And managing isotretinoin retreatments, um, I think everyone's a little bit different in terms of, you know, 
when you're going to need a second round of Accutane if you are going to, and that's kind of part of my counseling before you start, is you know, Accutane is the closest thing we have to a cure, but it's not a cure. And so some patients may need a second course at some point down the road. And so um, I think that's a, that's a hard question to, to, man, to answer. Um, I don't think there's a set time. I mean, I think once they do a six or eight co month course, I treat till they're clear and hopefully they stay clear for a long period of time before I have to see them back and they would consider starting again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would echo that. And I have found that over the last five or six years, I'm seeing a lot more relapses mm -hmm. as well. And I think it might have something to do with um, the brands and the fact that the pharmacy will fill any brand. And so oftentimes I'll write for the same brand over and over so they're not jumping between different brand names of drugs. Um, I also have taken to going a little further with my isotretinoin dosing if possible and if insurance allows, I'll actually take some, some, some of the more severe patients up to 220 per kilo. Any experience with Cesara? No, no, I don't have experience with that Neither. yet. Talked about triglycerides. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah, that, this is a great question about efficacy difference on doxy. So, as I mentioned, I am trending to use fewer oral antibiotics, and so I have to say I haven't really done a lot of low-dose doxy because if I'm going to do it, um, I, I usually will do the 100 BID. I agree. I will do the same thing. Okay. Good. A threshold, threshold. for lipid elevation? No, not really. I, I kind of just watch the pattern, and if it really is elevated at baseline, then that, you know, making sure that they come back again for a fasting before we start is, is important. Yeah, I echo what you said. Anything else, Jen? Okay. Thanks, Great. everyone. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Dermcast.tv, the official online media resource for the Society of Dermatology PAs.